And many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because wickedness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. From there, we'd like to go to uh, 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. How'd you know what I was reading? I looked at your notes. I spied on you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, but that they will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So he says, but two things must happen before Jesus comes to reclaim his throne. There must be a great falling away, apostasy. And the man of sin revealed the Antichrist. So, what we're hearing here is a great deal of trouble in Christendom. And a great deal of coldness and, and apostasy, falling away from the truth, falling away from the Lord in Christendom. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy, which is the next book, chapter 4, Verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is painting a bleak picture if we look at it just on these terms. And also Peter says it is time to begin that judgment begins at the house of God. When judgment comes, We'll begin at the house of God. The Church of Laodicea talks about great lukewarmness. And that Jesus says to that church, He writes in them to a letter, He says, He says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you say I am rich and in need of nothing, He says, and you're lukewarm, He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Can you imagine a church getting that kind of a letter from Jesus. I'm going to spit you, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm sure it must have been jarring for that church to read that and to hear that kind of a message from Jesus. Okay. Are you sure this is from Jesus? <laughs> but the fact is it was. So, we are in the latter times that is talking about these latest times. And he tells us that because of wickedness, the love of many would grow cold. We have seen that happen very clearly among some. But also, there's not just those that are openly backslidden, there are those who are backslidden in their hearts. That they're kind of still going through the motions, coming to church, saying the right things, doing the Christian things. But their heart is lukewarm. It's one of the signs of the times is lukewarmness. And so that's what we want to talk about today. What to do about that. Are we just going to sit here and just wring our hands and just say, well, is us and everything, or well, is them? Is that the answer? Of course not. So first, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel 
chapter 14. Second Samuel 14 and verse 14. Second Samuel fourteen fourteen. For we surely we will all surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but he devises a way or a means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. We looked that up in several different versions and read to you what some of them say. The NIV says but that is not what God desires. Rather, He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from Him. Another other version says that God devises ways for the banished to be restored. Another one says He works out ways to get the exile back. Another one says that God devises a way to heal the backslide. God has a plan. And that plan, He has to devise to bring people back. And it includes us. So we'll start again with 1 Timothy chapter 1. Back to Timothy. having faith in a good conscience which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I delivered to Satan that they may not that they may learn not to blaspheme and this is part of God's plan we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul talks about certain people who are in sin and refuse to repent. He says, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that their spirit might be saved. They of the Lord. And here he says that people are turned over to Satan. He says, I turn them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. They might learn something from it. That part of God's plan is taking away certain restrictions, protections from them, and they go through certain things that they need to go through by being scourged by Satan, that they might learn. That they might learn something from it. They may learn not to speak against God. There's many people who are backslidden in heart or backslidden in, in demonstrating their backsliding. They speak against God. We remember one person from the past, the long past, was with us in King of Prussia and then in Boyertown who just spoke recklessly and blaspheming the Lord over and over again. And eventually it led to her destruction. She suffered shipwreck concerning the faith. So what do we do about that? Of course, that's part of the process that God allows such a one if they don't take heed 
to be delivered to Satan, eventually to be have their flesh, and and that they might learn something. That God's going to take them to school through that. He's going to school them through that. The second one, in God, second thing in God's plan, is in Second Timothy, chapter two. Verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel or strive, be strifeful, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so they may come to the make they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There's a lot said in this, this short little thing we just read in Paul's letter to Timothy. First of all, is that we shouldn't be strifeful, we shouldn't be arguing with people. Even you know, especially with loved ones, we, we so much want people to be right and to be changed and to be in God's will and to see them in rebellion and see them being reckless and to see them, you know, destroying their lives or just turning their... You, you know what the answers are, but they're not getting... The light's not going on. And we can try to take control of the situation and try to force the Word of God upon them. And it's a great mistake. It says we should not, we cannot strive. But be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. We should be prepared with the Word of God so we may be able to give answer to everyone. So we know, so they know the reason of the hope that's in us. Patience and in humility Correcting those who are in opposition. If God will grant them repentance, so they know the truth. God wants to use us, is what it's saying here. In that process of restoring those who are struggling. The unbeliever. Those who have strayed from the truth. Those who have wandered from the truth. And then they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by the devil to do his will. This is one of the things that we have to come to understand. This isn't a devil-made-them-do-it speech. But what it's saying here is that without the Lord, we are no match for Satan. We're talking about a supernatural fallen angel. That is supernatural influence. That has the power of suggestion, as we see with in the Garden of Eden. And influencing them in an evil way. And they listen to it and they become captive to him through listening to him. And they become his prisoner. So even if they wrong us, don't take it personally. They're now prisoners. But they wrong people. They wrong you or somebody you love. If, they, if they're doing things that are wrongful and they hurt you, don't take it personally. They're prisoners of Satan. That's why we shouldn't be strifeful for them. That's why we shouldn't be angry with them. That's why we shouldn't be arguing with them. We're looking at prisoners in, in a prison house. We're looking at people in Doubting Castle who have strayed from the truth or have never come to know the truth. And that's how we can come to love. We understand this. We can come to love our enemies. Because Jesus understood it. God the Father understands it. The Holy Spirit understands it. He wants us to understand it. 
that we can now love our enemies, do good to those who do evil to us, bless those who curse us, to overcome their evil with good. So that if our enemy hungers, we can give them to eat. And thirsty, we can give them to drink. Because we know and understand that they're in Satan's prison house. And God wants to use us in the process. So they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Because they have been taken captive to do his will. Very simple. So from there, we go to Hebrews chapter 3. Seven. Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Verse 12. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. But exhort, that means to encourage or build up one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through sin's deceitfulness. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will harden his, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Another part of God's plan is a personal responsibility of the Christian, a member of the body of Christ to all the other members of the body of Christ. It's a personal responsibility. I underline the word responsibility. It first warns about an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. The Bible says we, the just shall live by faith. But when we stop living by faith, we're in unbelief. We're beginning to live the, believe the Lord. That's the beginning of the backsliding right there, unbelief. It says, for we have, in verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That we don't lose our confidence in the Lord. That we don't lose our confidence in the blood of Jesus. That we don't lose our confidence in the prophet promises of God. And God's love for us. For God so loved us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we are called the children of God. So we're to encourage one another, it says, daily. We can't encourage each person in each fellowship daily, or each Christian that we know daily. But it is part of the Christian, daily part of the Christian life, to encourage each other. And it is also a personal responsibility. It says, in Acts chapter 2, we read, read it many times, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This sounds like a great burden of responsibility. Oh, I gotta do all this stuff, you know. I gotta encourage one another daily, and I gotta pray daily, and and come together with my brothers daily, and and all and these meetings and everything else. And we can look at it as a burden. 
or we can look at it as our heart being opened up to the love of God, God's love for us, and, we, and our love for each other. That's the new life. The new life in Christ gives us the desire to do these things. It's not put upon us as a burden. This responsibility was not put upon us as a burden or a ball and chain or more stuff to do, but an expression of the love that Jesus put in our hearts. The Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit He's given us. It opens our eyes towards each other. John 15, Jesus says, And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said, "Greater love, there's no greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. He calls us to lay down our lives for each other. Not as a burden, but as an outpouring of the love that God put in our hearts. That's where the personal concern from each other comes from. Keith Green used to sing that song, you put, that, you put your love in our hearts. You put your love in my heart. And so this is what it's all about. And from that awakening to those truths, comes an understanding and an awakening of our concern for each other. And the end of the lukewarm lukewarmness. Because after it talks about the evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, the antidote is right there. It's, the, the answer to it is the next verse. But encourage or build one another up daily. God put through the Holy Spirit, He gives us that opportunity to be an encouragement to each other. To build one another up. The answer is not withdrawing from fellowship and becoming a hermit. The answer is to let God open our hearts up to give ourselves away. Amen. To give of ourselves. So what does that mean? That means a restructuring of our lives. Because let's face it, in the natural, our lives are not... Before Christ, our lives are not scheduled that way. And after Christ, our lives still may not be scheduled that way. The rescheduling of our lives. Losing our life, like Jesus said, he who loses his life shall gain. It means also losing our schedule for God's schedule. Sure, part of God's schedule is doing the things that are necessary and needful. But then there's a, there's the restructuring. So we don't say, Lord, I know I should be doing this, but... Lord, I know I should be doing that, but... And we can be full of excuses and fancy footwork for putting other things in priority over what God has called us to. But encourage one another daily while it's called today. Today. Not tomorrow, not the next day, today. Today is the day. So we say, say, yeah, someday I'm going to do that. No, we can't put that off. Souls are at stake. That we encourage each other to hold fast that confidence that we had from the beginning to the end. To see it through. I remember Paul Yoder one time we were talking and he said, you know, he says, you know, he wasn't judging other people. He says, sometimes people say, 
you know, they're part of your fellowship. And all of a sudden, they, one day they say, oh, I'm leaving for California. I uh, got a job out there. I'm going to go out there. And he says, he said it, he just doesn't, he didn't understand with, that you could just abandon the fellowship and abandon all the, your brothers and sisters and just go away, take your family and just go away to a place that you don't know anybody there, you don't know a church there, you just, you know. I'm not saying that, I'm not condemning anybody that does that. It just makes makes a person wonder, you know, where our commitments really are at. And is those relationships we forged, what do they mean? And sometimes God does call people to go into a faraway place. But sometimes it's just a matter of money and human reasoning. And sometimes it's just, you know, I think this or I think that. Instead of acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways and He'll direct our path. This isn't a judgmental thing, but just a checking ourselves. Is what, why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we make the plans that we're making? In Hebrews chapter 6, as we continue... Hebrews 6.11 And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. A personal responsibility to ourselves that we don't become backslidden in heart. That we don't become lazy, careless, sloppy in our spiritual walk. But we follow those who through, and imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We have a great many witnesses who have witnessed that to us in the Bible. The Old Testament and the New. Jesus himself, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, the early church, the men of God of, of the Old Covenant. A great many cloud of witnesses, it says in Hebrews 11, that show us the zeal for God. Not to be sluggish or lazy, it says. Not to be spiritually lazy. It says that we should be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word fervent means hot, boiling serving the Lord. We hear the term in Christendom, man, he, he or she is on fire for the Lord. That's what it means. No. We should be on fire for the Lord. Chapter 10. Let us draw near Hebrews 10 20, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works or provoke one another to love and good works 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but encouraging or, or building up, exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Right after that, talks about people falling away. When you see, when you read this, and you understand this, that again you understand that God puts it upon all of us. Not just the preacher puts it upon all of us to consider one another, to how we can provoke one another, or to encourage one another to love one another, to walk in love. And the good works. To do what's right. To do the right thing. That is part of the fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the most important things that we come together for. It's true. I know when I prepare my part, that's what I'm thinking about. What I'm talking about right now. I'm considering how I can stir my brothers and sisters up to love one another for good works, to trust God, to be built up in the most holy faith. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm preparing for the morning meetings, for whenever I see any of my brothers and sisters, when I when I meet with an unbeliever, a back someone who's backslidden, how can God use me? God, please use me. Speak through me. Let your holy the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon me. That's our. That's what we want to do. This is fellowship. This is what it's about. Is getting together to enjoy one another's company, but also to build each other up in the most holy faith. We have the responsibility to do that for ourselves, but to do it for each other too. To provoke one another to love and good works. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the maturity of a Christian fellowship. We don't have time to read that right now. But if you read that, it's very similar to the maturing of a Christian. But it's a process. And if you look at that process, it says that God has given different gifts within the, the local assembly to building up of the body until... And that word stands out like a sore thumb. Until we come to unity of faith and a knowledge of the Son of God. Until we come to the full maturity, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. A local assembly. That's what it's meant to be. But it's that only happens through a commitment and a devotion to every member of the body of Christ doing its part. And that's how a body matures. Otherwise, a body is just going to stay a toddler or an adolescent. It's not going to grow up unless everybody does their part. If those of God, God has given gifts, different gifts to the members of the body of Christ. But if we're sluggish, about it, for lazy about it, the body's not going to grow. Because one or two brothers and sisters only are gifted in certain areas. To have a full rounded ministry requires all those who God has given gifts to to be used by God. A congregational ministry of the body of Christ. Acts 4, 32 says that the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and of one soul. We can't look at Christendom. And Christendom, as Paul prophesied, is on is apostatizing. Martin Luther in his day 
when he was trying to reform the Catholic Church, came to the conclusion that the Catholic Church was unreformable and thus gave birth to the Protestant movement. Other reformers came to that same conclusion, for better or for worse. We're not going to reform all of Christendom. But we can do something about us. We don't have to... Just us here, and those who God brings into our path, to encourage others from other churches too. But also, to take a personal responsibility. To understand what it means for us here to be of one heart and one soul. Is that possible? It's only possible if we're all on the right channel. If we're all listening to the right voice. If we're not making excuses for not being what God has called us to be. Because God is going to call us into accounts for everything He has gifted us with, everything He supplied us with. How we use the time He's given us. We're being responsible as Christians. He calls us into account. We exhort you, brothers, from 1 Thessalonians 5. We exhort you, brothers, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Who is Paul writing this to? Writing to his Christians at the church of Thessalonica. To the whole church. Not just the leaders, to the whole church. We exhort you, means we encourage you, brothers. Warn those who are unruly. Don't walk in ready. Comfort the faint-hearted. Those who are struggling in their faith. Uphold the weak. The weak in faith. Be patient with all. And so you see that it takes giving of ourselves. Be what God calls us to do. Or we can be complacent, which is lukewarm. Say, yeah, I know that's what God wants to be, but I'm not there yet. And just blow it off or just... Okay. But as we read here, this is what God says. This is the will of God. And so we have we have to understand what the will of God is for each of us. That's all time I'm going to take. If any brothers have anything you want to share, Dave, John, any other brothers want to share something uh, or a comment on what we've shared so far? Uh, I just wanted to share something that fits in with this that just sort of a experience I had yesterday. We went to a funeral yesterday and um, both my wife and myself were just so grieved because the pastor was just absolutely so so ill-informed about the Word of God. So, so absolutely um, contrary and making light of the requirements of God for salvation. And then just out and out lies saying things like there's no there's no sin that's not forgivable and that if, if there was God wouldn't be God. You know, just like ignoring the scripture altogether. But more than that, you know, we we ended up uh, at, back at the at the house with the family and um, the eldest daughter whose brother was who had passed away, she um she and her husband, they live in Delaware, and they, they spoke. Um, we had a real long talk, and one of the things that just impressed me so much is that they were both saying just over and over that it's so important that you know the Word of God for yourself, that you can't, you can't rely upon any other man to know the Word of God. 
And you know, it just really, they just kept driving that point home and for everyone who was there to hear, you know, um, it just really, I think it had a profound effect and um, his wife, uh, the, the sister was telling me that that her and her small women's group down in Delaware, that they met for, I think she said it was 22 weeks straight, um, to get together and to pray and to cry out to God, each individually, for the sole purpose of asking God to try them and to know them and to reveal the sin that was in them so that they would be made clean and that they could yield their whole life to Him and ask Him to fill them and um, you know she she was sharing with me that you know a number of the ladies um, received during that period of time received uh, the gift of tongues um, they received uh, one she they believe is you know the gift of prophecy um, but she said it started with us recognizing that unless the vessel is made clean that you really haven't done the work to to draw near to God like so many of us she said and she was one of them would just constantly be you know wanting wanting but not doing anything about it and she said that the desperation of coming together week after week and confessing their sin and crying out to God individually, but, you know, in the hearing of everyone, but each one had cried out for themselves, you know, um, and that they deliberately came together with that purpose. She said it yielded such an amazing change in their small church group that there is such a dedication to, the, to one another in the body now and that they're seeing God really moving in them. And so, you know, it just it just goes along with what you're saying. I mean, until we, until we hunger and thirst and cry out to God and de desperately want all that He has for us, if we really want to be honest about it, what we're, what we're saying is that some of the idols that we've set up in our life are still more important to us than you are. And that's a very very, you know, exact statement that I just made, but it is it is absolutely the truth if we want to be honest before God. If we don't want what He has more than we want what we what, what we have, we're never going to grow in these areas that we see written in the book of Acts and as the church grew back then. Their commitment to those things was first and foremost and, you know, we can lie and kid ourselves all we want by, by being lukewarm and being content with, with our level of spirituality, you know, and that we come to church every week or we might go to men's meeting or women's meeting, that that is, you know, enough, that we're content with that level. God wants so much more from us, not, not just for His glory, but for our good. He wants us to enjoy a spirit-filled life where we are overflowing with the joy of His presence and that that is what is being broadcast from each one of us to the to the world around us and until we get until we you know really desire that and I think it starts it does like these 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 women these humble women came together and said this isn't good enough anymore and I'm, I'm so I'm so tired of being grieved in my spirit that I'm not giving myself wholly to God I, I'm done with this I want more and they came together and they concert, made an effort to, to do it and that's we've talked many times Ron about how you know when we read about you know all the different um, um, what's the word um, um, revivals that have happened that we've, we have history about it all started with that, that type of desperation of one or two or a small group that came together and began to start praying, you know, faithfully, day in and day out, getting together as often as possible, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday or Friday, just 
trying to get together, and when they couldn't all get together, some of them got together, just a few of them, and there were these little cell groups that were continuing. And until we, until we, you know, put that kind of effort into seeking God, He says to us right from the start, those who seek Me with all of their heart and mind and soul and strength, they shall find Me. Not people who are just content. He wants us to learn con the contentedness of Paul, which is, you know, whether I have much or I have little, I have everything because I have Jesus. I can be content in, in whatever circumstance. But He doesn't want us to be content with a modicum of fellowship with him. He wants us to have he wants to have all of us. So it's just a really good lesson. I was grieved in my own spirit after speaking to her. I really was. She she put me she she you know it shamed me in my, because I realized how often and I heard this song this morning by Casting Crowns that, you know, basically <coughs> says a lot of the same stuff that, you know, we have to, we have, you know, it's let the church, you know, come alive, you know, and that's, that's what it's going to take. So anyway, Lord bless you. God puts a hunger in our hearts that before we're a believer, we try to satisfy it with the flesh. Mm -hmm. And of course it brings us to our end. But when we become a believer and we begin to follow Christ, that hunger, if it's not sat that fellowship with God, if we let it wane and go away or fizzle out, that hunger comes back and we might be filling it or schedule with a lot of other things and being a very starved, being very starved in our spirit. So, you know, just in, in reflection to what Dave is saying there. Yeah. It's been uh, four months since my mom passed. And um, it's... Life can change so quickly. And I remember, especially like when I, when I really... Brothers here know how, how much I struggled uh, for, for years uh, with ministering to my mom and um, the, the struggle that we all have with like wanting people to see it, you know, wanting people to, to come to faith and, and, uh, and striving with them, you know, because for years I just, I had all this frustration and uh, anxiety and hopelessness and you know, and add another dozen words to that. Um, you guys know, you guys prayed for me about it. Um, but at some point, there was this, this, this click. Something happened inside of me um, that just made me realize, John, you're trying to do it in your own strength. You know, and, um, and it was from that moment that... Um, you know, I really just took a, a, stand, a firm stand in faith and just said, Lord, I'm done. Now, I'm done striving on my own. I, I'm done listening to the deception of, about, of, of the devil about, you know, you know, all the bitterness about my mom and, you know, um, you know how, how the enemy gets into us by causing us to focus on ourselves, our needs, you know, um, why this isn't fair, you know, just that, that self-focus that starves the life out of us. Um, and, and from that moment, there was just this, all right, Lord, I'm done. Um, I'm just giving my, my whole life to you. And it's, it's subtle, right? Because I thought I would give my whole life to him. I mean, I was doing all the things that a Christian should do. I was honoring my mother day by day, going there, giving her medication, taking her doctor's appointments, and along with all the other things that, you know, were uh, all the other everyday responsibilities. But there wasn't this joyful offering up of myself to him. No, it's just like it is a true living sacrifice. Um, you know, there, there wasn't that trust. I think trust is a really important Amen. word. That's what you we know, talked about yesterday. Yeah. That trusting him, knowing his love, and you know, and knowing that you know, so so at, at that point, you know, it was like I became that that free will offering, you know, and and um, really started to receive the love of God and believing that. All right, Lord. You know, I am to love my mother as you love me, and I'm going to do this joyful as unto you. And yes, there was battling. There was tearing down 
uh, you know, every the thoughts that were contrary to that, you know, the selfish thoughts, the uh, the, the, um, the the bitterness, uh, and it was a process. But through that process, uh, eventually, you know, that offering that, that uh, you know, uh, my my life as an offering was set on fire. And there was joy, and there was confidence, and there was, you know, uh, delighting in being with my mom, seeing God working, um, and uh, you know, there were that time, you know, just like you know, maybe six or seven months ago, um, times of tremendous busyness. I mean, more busyness than I ever thought I could handle. Being in school full time, my mom dying of cancer. I mean, you know, uh, work. I mean, my schedule was crazy busy, and then fellowship after fellowship after fellowship. But man, I was just shining and, you know, excited. And I, I remember, you know, uh, before all that, thinking, man, when my mom passes, my life's going to be such, such less burdensome. Man, when my mom passes, I'm going to have so much more freedom. And that was a lie. That was deception. Because I tell you what, today, I wake up now, and I think, man, how nice it was to wake up day by day and forget about myself. Amen. Wow. It, today I, I miss that. I miss. You know, I, I had to wake up every day and say, "All right, John, it's not about you. All right, now you need to get up. You have to go to your mother's. You need to give her her insulin. You need to get her ready." You know, and, and that was just like such a blessing because day by day it was like, "All right, my life's not my own. My life's not my own. My life's not my own." And between COVID and losing my mom, like I feel like some stagnance has come has come in, um, and and uh, yeah, it, it, there's been. Some trial. There's been some uh, some challenge you know, over the last few months since my mom passed. Um, but I, I know that part of that is just because of the, the self focus that has crept in. Because I just don't have her anymore. I don't have you know that primary. You know, like she was that number one ministry in my life that really got me out of myself. You know, um, and I've been thinking over the last like 48 hours just about the state of our world. Things are really bad, especially in this country. Things are so bad. I mean, there's such a polarization between left and right and these riots. And, you know, we see this iniquity abounding in this, in this nation. And we look at, you know, uh, through the scriptures. And when judgment came upon nations, it's exactly when things like are happening in this country were abounding. You know, homosexuality is just, you know, this is... You know, this is our, our right, and, and you know, um, you know, uh, basically infanticide. You know, there, there are states that are basically legalizing infanticide. You can take basically an infant out of the womb and kill it, and it's legal. I mean, judgment is coming upon this world. And I, I'm just like, Lord, what are we doing? Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, do I realize that Jesus is coming back? And He's coming back. He's not coming on a donkey. He's not coming meek and lowly. He's coming on a stallion. He's coming with fire in His eyes. And I want Him to say, Well done, good and faithful servant.